Bigley and Marotta. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bigley Blast. My pipe dream of Lit City was based on a singular, wonderful premise. Our NFL team and our Heritage NBA franchise in a race for Valley Supremacy, both competing to break a 21-year championship drought in the Valley. Well, after last year's playoff debacle, the Suns are back in the game. The Cardinals, they're another matter. The Cardinals chose to pass at the trade deadline, which is fine if you believe this team is not one player away that it's not a talent issue, that it's more organizational and operational, and at the moment, there's some merit to that. But if you believe their defense is about done overachieving, there was an edge rusher on the market available that would have been a great addition to this football team. It would have been the kind of move you make to bring in new energy and a booster belief. It's the kind of move you make if you're really all in it to win it, and the Cardinals have not resembled that team for many, many months now. So we're all left with the hope that the offense will finally elevate in the second half of the season. The defiant, desperate, delusional hope that the same play caller and the same offense and the same quarterback will produce the exact opposite of effect of what we saw in the second half of last season. And with the team struggling with the very basics of offensive football, with getting in and out of the huddle, it's sounding more and more like a fairy tale. Today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW who make luxury affordable with two great locations. Find them online at ChapmanBMW.com. No, I'm I, I'm not. I think that's it's a group that uh, continues to get better. A lot of young players that um, will continue to work at it. And VJ's uh, done a great job with that group. And we faced a really good offense. They, they played efficiently. Kirk did a great job spreading the ball around. And they have great playmakers with a great scheme. So it, that happens in this league. As per your blast asking the question, do you think the defense is done overachieving? Which mm-hmm. I think we can all agree for the most part, even in a three and five season so far, the defense has overachieved. Cliff Kingsbury not concerned, although the last. Last two weeks, the New Orleans Saints, who were marginalized at the wide receiver position, put up 34 points and 494 yards, albeit in a loss. You can't dismiss that against the Cardinals. Last week, 34 more points by the Vikings, 381 yards. Um, Those are not great numbers. Uh, Those are not in line with the numbers that the Cardinals defense had posted outside of the Kansas City game where they just ran into an opening week buzzsaw with Patrick Mahomes. That offense was really, really humming. Mm -hmm. Um, Look, I I believe that the Cardinals defense is, is just at the end of their rope of overachieving. So this really becomes incumbent on the offense to figure this out. Uh, whether or not that yeah. happens, but I also I'm, I'm also of the belief, Bick, that I don't have a problem with giving up more, uh, Steve Kime giving up more draft capital uh, and maybe players because... You know, Chase Edmonds was part of that Bradley Chubb deal. Yeah, going going back to Denver. Yeah, we didn't even get into that yet. He's already on a second team post Cardinals. Yeah, and he's going to face the Cardinals later this season. That is true, but um, because I don't think 
Yeah, Bradley Chubb's an excellent football player, a great pass rusher. They need pass rushing, but I just think the problems uh, of the Arizona Cardinals on both sides of the ball, and really on special teams too, they need to be fixed by the guys that are in that locker room. Without right a now. doubt, I, I think the the problems on each side of the ball are are dramatically different. I think offense, it is the it's the scheme, it's the operation, it's it's more coaching related. I think defense, it's more about talent, and and, and this is and I hear this a lot, and I've I've talked to people at the very beginning. That that painted a picture that by ladling so many resources on the offensive side of the football and making Vance Joseph succeed with a whole host of rookies and unknown quantities and and a secondary that looked very, very vulnerable, you're basically setting Vance Joseph up to be the scapegoat here. Mm-hmm. So if things don't go well, he's the problem. And and so I, so I want to really, really clap back on that because the expectations for this Cardinals defense should not have been to the point where you look at giving up 34 points to the Vikings as, how dare they? It's for four weeks that that side of the ball played out of their minds. Look at the front foursome yeah. of that football team. Look at their collection of edge rushers. They've got four guys who each have one sack. Okay, and so you tell me if this team is over, if the defense is overachieving or underachieving. The idea that the defense deserves really any significant blame is absolutely—it's just ludicrous to me. No, 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 no some no, blame, you, yes, no, but uh, but if you're, but if I'm not saying you, I, I, I'm not saying you're not the no, one doing it. No, but we've had these discussions this week. My level of belief in the defense is, is waning. But you're right. The Cardinals should have, based on that stretch where they gave up 20 or less points in, what, three or four straight weeks? Four straight weeks. And they got one win. Yep. They went one and three in that yep. stretch. That was your missed opportunity. To, exactly. To, 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 and if I'm, if I'm judging my belief in Vance Joseph and the defense against the belief in Cliff Kingsbury and the offense, Vance Joseph, at least this year, has shown the ability to make adjustments. As games go on, which the offense has not done. Furthermore, when you look at all the resources given to Cliff Kingsbury and the offensive side of the football, when you look at all the capital, draft and otherwise, that has been put into giving him wide receivers and tight ends, Trey McBride being the latest example, and then Robbie Anderson the minute Hollywood Brown goes down. All right, when you compare that to what Vance Joseph was given, you cannot thereby expect the defense to be at a super high level. And if you you do and they're failing, then you cannot forgive the Cardinals for standing pat at the trade deadline when a guy like Bradley Chubb was available. There have been any number of of, of cornerbacks along the way, and and their diagnosis of some of these young players has been really good. I think Jalen Thompson is becoming that guy. Buda Baker goes without saying. Isaiah Simmons, he has stacked two really good perform- star performances back-to-back. Zayvon Collins, he's found a level of competitive um, of of competency and pr- and productivity. Zach Allen's kind of slipping off a little bit. Not quite as productive as he's been, but if you're if you're relying on look at Marcus Golden's numbers for the, for this year. Marcus Golden was held out all the training camp basically, wanted more money. The Cardinals finally begrudgingly uh, gave him something. He's not been good at all. No, he hasn't. And so this team has got a desperate need to pressure the quarterback. And if you believe the offense can get fixed and you believe that the defense is to blame, then then how's it okay that you don't even take a shot at a guy like that? Yeah.
I don't know. You you can look at it any any number of ways, but I just think when you take a look at at a defensive front that was relying on Dennis Gardeck and MyJ Sanders and Zach Allen and Cam Thomas, JJ Watt's been terrific. I'm not including him in this, but you're not being serious about generating a pass rush if that's what you think is going to get it done for you. Look, maybe the Cardinals are looking internally and thinking, "Wow, this is this is." Not going well. I mean, publicly, they're going to say one thing, yeah. even if they believe something internally. The only issue I have with that is, then why did they trade for Robbie Anderson? Yeah, so two weeks ago was the mindset all that different? No, and 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 that's 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 where it gets wonky because you see wait you see a lot of a lot of resources, good money being thrown after bad on offense when the defense clearly could use some upgrades on some positions. Uh, again, I've I have been inspired by the defense. I am not going to spend one minute hating on them. I do not blame them for any of this. I think they have held up their end of the bargain for the talent they have been given. I have I have got more respect for Vance Joe of now than I did last year, which is significant. And and I, I think that if, if the Cardinals off, it, the shame of this all will be if magically, if the Cardinals offense finally finds a level now, if three weeks into DeAndre Hopkins return and, and suddenly Robbie Anderson, okay, now I know what's going on in this offense. Now I can assimilate and play. And now they find a level and they start smoking fools. Then you might really be kicking yourself for yeah. not bolstering the defense Maybe. because... Because you don't want the thing to flip that way, so it's it's going to be interesting, man. It, it's there's uh, the, the fan base is on the edge, and and as much as the principles of this football team keep saying everything is fine and everything is fixable and we're going to get better, it, 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 they can't ignore the fact that people see what's real. Oh, absolutely. But your, your your point is correct on that four week stretch. If I would have to, if you would have told me at the beginning of the year that four week stretch they'd give up twenty or less points, you're thinking three wins at least. That's on the offense. You can text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at six twenty six twenty right now. Coming up next, oh, you're you're going to see a basketball game in Brooklyn and bring your brooms because it's a mess. Oh, we'll try to get to the bottom of what's going on with the Nets next. It's uh, Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports. The Local sports leader. Dan Bickley, Vince Morata. Bickley and Morata Mornings. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. This has been a discussion within the Nets with Steve Nash and management ownership here in the last few days as this season really just started to unravel the four straight losses, the Kyrie Irving situation. Uh, and even with a win last night against Indiana where you know, they blew a 24-point lead, had a hold on at the end, I think the fact that this team had struggled so much defensively, a 29th in the league uh, going into last night, uh, that this was becoming an inevitability. That's Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, ESPN, with the news that broke yesterday toward the tail end of our show that the Brooklyn Nets and Steve Nash had mutually decided to part ways. Uh, that's like the fourth or fifth most uh, shocking headline coming from Brooklyn these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Nash is gone. He has got to feel like the weight of the world is off his shoulders. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to the offseason when Kevin Durant told Sean Marks, I'm gone or... Nash and you are gone. Or told that to Joe Sy, the owner, excuse me. Um, 
Then they patched everything up. It lasted seven games. This patch-up job lasted seven games. In seven Brooklyn. games. I can't say I'm surprised. I'm I not mean, either. W- when you have your best player call for the jobs of the head coach and the GM, where do you think this thing is going to go? And then you throw into the mix Kyrie Irving and his disgusted, lo- disgusting loose comments that have, that have really thrown a steaming pile of controversy right in the NBA's lap that is not dissimilar from the Robert Sarver controversy. You can see where Steve Nash would go, I'm out of here, man. I'm out of here. It was probably destined to fail even though, I mean, when Steve Nash got that job... And we're big Steve Nash fans. It happened during the show where they announced it. Yeah, it was a weird weird hire. And to make it even weirder... He was not a good head coach. The the team had no defensive concepts. They never played... and yeah, a team I, with that many egos involved, yeah. you need a guy who's handled handled those personalities Jackson before. Type. Right. Yeah. That's but what that's kind of what you need. Here's where it gets really weird. Now they're sniffing around and all indications are that they're going nothing about this makes sense to me. That they're going to hire suspended Celtics head coach Ime Adoka. A month after his suspension kicked in, and mm-hmm. it wasn't I mean, it was a serious suspension, which many people thought he should have been fired. There are people who know the story behind the story, and they say it's the most disgusting thing you've ever heard. And no one, knows, no one knows the details. Did Matt Barnes say he won't coach yeah. again? Yeah. Yes. We still don't know why. He came out and was very. He was he was uh, critical of the whole situation. The next day, he said, "I learned the, the headlines. It's a lot worse than any of us know." From our perspective, with what's been reported, it was uh, a, a consensual uh, relationship with a member of the, the a female member of the Nets staff. Then, you know, that's what the Nets thought anyway. Then it comes out that they were unwanted advances, advances by Ime Yudoka. So what, what it sounds like to me was, okay, he hooked up with somebody he works with, and then he got real weird and creepy about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And then there was a lot of travel stuff on the road. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of stuff like that. Why would you want that guy? I don't and, know why And especially want when he was on your staff and you let him go to Boston and hired Steve Nash instead. I'm thinking it must be, all right, KD, you got your way. Who do you want? And KD, just being the flavor of the month kind of guy that he is, said, oh, Emei's out well, there. Let, let, let me, uh, yeah, let's let me align with him. Sean Mark said Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving were not consulted okay. before this move was made. Kevin Durant came out and said he was shocked by this move. I don't know why he would be. Everybody, Nobody else was. And then you brought it up, but I haven't even touched on the Kyrie Irving. Let's get into it. I mean, the Kyrie Irving, just from Udoka's standpoint, you want to get into coaching and go into that hellfire of a situation? Nick Friedle, who got into it with Kyrie Irving in the press conference, and I give credit to Nick Friedle for really pressing Kyrie Irving and not backing down from him, he called the Nets the most dysfunctional team he's ever seen in professional sports. Yeah, and so the NBA is left with the situation because what Kyrie Irving did is he used his social media platform to to promote a film that is just filled with anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. And if, any, if you've got two eyes, you understand what a growing issue issue that is in this country and how horrifying that is after what we know of the course of history. Well, and and, and his defiance in that yes. exchange with Nick Ferdell over semantics, basically. Uh, Kyrie Irving, I've said it for years, he's a smart guy, but he's, a, he's, a, he's kind of a faux intellectual. So he would yeah. not even admit the definition of the word promote. Yeah. Despite yeah. the fact that he's got millions of Twitter right. followers and linking this this video that's available on Amazon, he does not view it as a as promotion. 
that that's kind of the the heart of his uh, you know his defense on. Well, this. what's yeah. interesting about this is the players banded together to help get Robert Sarver ousted for a series of uh, for a, a history of workplace toxicity, that kind of thing, because in their view, Robert Sarver did not represent who the league is, what we stand for, and where we are going. How do you reconcile Kyrie Irving under that premise? You don't. Uh, the NBA on TNT crew took issue with Kyrie Irving last night, Charles Barkley. I think the NBA dropped the ball. In what way? Uh, I think he should have been suspended. Uh, I think Adam should have suspended him. First of all, Adam's Jewish. You can't take my $40 million and insult my religion. If you're going to insult me, you have the right. But I have the right to say, no, you're not going to take my $40 million and insult my religion. I think the NBA, they made a mistake. We have suspended people and fined people who have made homophobic slurs. Uh, and that that was the right thing to do. I think if you insult the, uh, the black community, you should be suspended or fined heavily, depending. I saw they did the same thing to the kid in Minnesota this year when he made the gay slur. I think you should get suspended or fined. The uh, NBPA Players Association released a statement yesterday that said, anti-Semitism has no place in our society. The NBPA is focused on creating an environment where everyone is accepted. We are committed to helping players fully understand that certain words can lead to hateful ideologies being spread. We will continue to work on identifying and combating all hate speech wherever it arises. Guess what? The guy responsible for these actions is a vice president of the National yeah, Basketball Players Association. It's unbelievable. And and again, the amount of anti-Semitism that is starting to flash up in this country, whether it's morons on bridges over overpasses or messages being beamed on buildings while a college football is playing, is unacceptable. Absolutely unacceptable. Free, hate speech is not free speech. And the NBA has got to deal with this. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're thinking that, because Kyrie's explanation is, I'm just putting this out there. Yeah, I'm putting this out there. Everybody can do do their own research, do their own, you know, find out their own information, do it themselves. I'm not the one saying it. I'm not promoting it. I'm just putting the information out there. That's what I am. I'm a, a conduit of information. Well, yeah, and he, and, he, and he used the I'm same. A free thinker. He used the same defense on you know a, a message from from Alex Jones. I don't agree with him, but, you know, he's right about this, is, is basically what he said. Yeah. Um, about secret societies and cabals in the world and all that kind yeah, of stuff. He's, yeah, he's, 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 he's deep into it. I give Reggie Miller credit, too, because he said on TNT last night, quote, the players have dropped the ball in this case when it's been uh, one of their own. It's been crickets, and it's disappointing because this league has been built on the shoulders of the players being advocates. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And if you're going to call out owners, and rightfully so, then you've got to call out players as well. You can't go silent in terms of this for Kyrie Irving. I want to hear the players and their strong opinions as well, just as we heard about Robert Sarver and Donald Sterling. Exactly. And that is that's, right on the money. It's right on the money. And so I'm real curious to see where this is going, um, because he is just he is just an idiot. And they still have Ben Simmons. <laughs> Who stinks <laughs> out loud. Seriously, it's like, and people are like, oh, give him time. He's been away from basketball for a while. What has he been doing when he's been away from the NBA? 
<laughs> not not working on a what? shooting. Therapy. Oh, yeah. Therapy. Is it too late to suspend Kyrie Irving? Because in the those quotes that you were reading earlier, it was, oh, they messed up. They should have. Barkley is it too on, late to fix that? Barkley went on to say that anything they do now is... It's too late. They already blew it. I I, I don't necessarily agree with that part. Is it too late? Later than it should have been, but better late than never. You have to send a message that this won't be tolerated. I agree with that, too. Uh, We'll continue to talk basketball because next is our weekly visit with the legendary voice of the Phoenix Suns. Al McCoy, All About the Suns, is next here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. CP3 for three. Al, about the Suns. Hall of Famer Suns broadcaster Al McCoy calls in to talk Suns with Bickley and Murata. Suns win. The Suns win. Al, about the Suns. Driven by Sanderson Ford. Chris Paul up out of backcourt now. And this time, Minnesota will say, okay, it's over. And this one is over. And the Suns have come up with another victory, their sixth of the year, as they down Minnesota by the score of 116 to 107. Oh, the man who made that final call on the Suns radio network, the one and only Al McCoy, joins us every Wednesday here on Bickley and Murata Mornings, and that happens right now. Good morning, Al. How are you? Well, good morning, guys. Uh, another nice win for the Suns. Yeah, it was a nice win, and I think one of the reasons why, or a couple of reasons why I thought it was a nice win was early this season, Al, we've seen the Suns rely pretty heavily on Devin Booker. Uh, it was a rough night for Book. And, you know, they, they defended him well, and he got into foul trouble. And They've also learned to rely heavily on the bench, and I thought the bench got outplayed last night, but they were still able to come out on top. How valuable do you think uh, pulling out a win like that can be moving forward? Well, I think it was a good analogy, exactly uh, what you said. But we have seen uh, Cam Johnson really emerge. And uh, he's playing with so much confidence. He's shooting the ball so well that uh, he, he was a big plus last night. Now, I will say this. As far as Booker is concerned, he didn't have the big numbers, Mm -hmm. but he still had a pretty complete game. He did. He rebounded well. He played pretty good defense. And although he didn't have the big scoring night, he still was a contributor. But again, last night, we saw Cam Johnson really emerge. Yeah, and if Cam can continue to be a contributor from the perimeter and give this team that reliable three-point shooting that he did last night, what what is that going to mean to this team long-term, Al? Well, it just uh, is a tremendous plus because, uh, you know, you're not going to get the big game from the second unit every night. Mm-hmm. Uh, you hate to have to rely on Booker to uh, score 30 or plus every night. But you need other players to contribute, and uh, the Suns have had that. We've seen it from Mikel Bridges. Uh, last night was Cam Johnson. We saw it from DeAndre Ayton when he was playing. And uh, it's just pretty a pretty complete team right now. And, uh, you know, when we talk to these guys on our post-game show, every one of them brings up the fact that uh, – This is a team that just loves to play together. They like one another. They love playing to one another. 
And I think we're seeing that here early in the season. Al McCoy, our guest every Wednesday here on Bickley and Murata Mornings. It's called Al About the Suns. And uh, we talked Suns basketball after that win over Minnesota last night. You mentioned him briefly, Al, but one of the things that the Suns were counting on this year to take that next step in their pursuit of a championship was uh, another elevation in the play of Mikel Bridges. And you know what you're going to get from Mikel defensively every single night. He's one of the best defenders in the league. But his offense, uh, and it was pinpointed, hey, we want him handling the ball more, slashing to the hoop more. It was really on display last night. What do you make of the offensive improvement you've seen from Mikel Bridges so far? Well, uh, I think uh, and uh, a big point is the confidence that uh, Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, particularly the confidence they now are playing with. And that, that's been a, a big boost for the Suns early in the season. And I think it has surprised a lot of people. Uh, we talked about this last week, uh, the fact that uh, they didn't get a lot of playing time in preseason because of injuries for a lot of players. But yet when they started to count, everybody was ready to step up. And now uh, winning these games without uh, DeAndre Ayton uh, certainly is encouraging. And now they have a score to settle with Portland on Friday and Saturday night. What do you think, Al? We all know at the end of last year there was a lot of internal stuff going on and and the chemistry of the Suns seemed to kind of get fractured and and that may or may not have have led to a lot of what we saw on the court, but what does it mean for the team to kind of recapture that really good vibe? Because like you just said, the togetherness and the camaraderie, it's there again. Well, you know, I I look at that as... uh, uh, the last year or two is a learning experience for this team. You know, sometimes uh, we forget that they've only been together a few years. And I look at the, the learning experience slowly starting to really uh, pay off. And uh, we have to give uh, the front office uh, a big plus. Uh, look what they've gotten when they picked up uh, Miss McBiambo and how he's been able to contribute now. Look at uh, Lindell, how Jacques has uh, really fit in early. So you've got to say the moves that have been made have been pretty productive. Al McCoy, our guest here on uh, Arizona Sports every Wednesday. When this season started, Al, a lot of people thought, with, with the Jay Crowder situation devolving to what it did, and he, and he wasn't with the team, and you know there was talk of, of both sides trying to work out on a uh, work out a trade. The thinking was, uh oh. This bench is going to be thin. Cam Johnson's moving into the starting lineup. James Jones better move fast. With the way this team has started winning six of seven, I believe it's kind of put the importance of of making that deal on the back burner. Uh, and not as important, the Suns can kind of bide their time and wait for the right deal to happen. Now, nobody wants to pay somebody $10 million for sitting at home. Uh, but what are your thoughts on, on, on the options that James Jones has right now on that front? Well, I I have to agree with you. And, uh, you know, we haven't talked much about Dario Saric and whether he's going to be involved in a trade, whether he's going to stay. Uh, We'll just have to wait and see, but I don't think they need to rush right now to make a deal. And what do you think about what's going on in Brooklyn? Obviously, it it cost Steve Nash's job, and I'm sure it was mutual. But the dysfunction that seems to follow Kevin Durant is, and it's not just him, it's Kyrie as well, obviously. But what a mess that franchise is. No question. You've hit the nail on the head. It's a mess. That's all you can say. 
Yeah, um, I, I wouldn't. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to be a Brooklyn Nets fan right now. No, let's just say that. No, you're right. You're uh, right. But we don't feel we don't feel sorry for them. No, no, no. Things, no, are, things are very sunny here in Phoenix. Uh, pardon the pun. You Al, got it. Always good to talk Thank to you. you. Uh, we'll uh, talk again next Wednesday. Hey, have a great day, guys. Thanks. You too, Al McCoy. Legendary Hall of Fame play-by-play voice of the Phoenix Suns joins us on Wednesdays to talk Suns basketball. Um, Smashing Pumpkins and Jane's Addiction coming to the Footprint Center for the Spirits on Fire Tour on November 18th. Head to the contest page now at ArizonaSports.com for complete details and for your chance to win tickets. Coming up next, a big stretch for the Arizona Cardinals starts this Sunday against the Seattle Seahawks. Is this whole thing salvageable? We'll get into that and more next. Bickley and Murata Mornings live from the Akchin Community Studios here on Arizona Sports, the sports leader. Bickley and Murata. Dan Bickley and Vince Murata. Bickley and Murata Mornings. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Their credit goes to Geno Smith. That's what I mean. Like the oh. credit, and I'd say I'd say this: there is no quarterback that has more perfect throws in every game. Oh my goodness, Geno Smith! He threw one to DK Crazy. Metcalf yesterday that he dropped that hit him on the four. Yep. I mean, yeah. Geno Smith threw over 215 yards today. He could, yesterday he could have had 400. I mean, these are perfect throws that are just drops by the unit. There's one quarterback in the NFL this season that less than 10 percent of his throws are off target. The only person is Geno Smith. Yeah. yeah. That's why he's right in the MVP rate. He, he has more perfect throws than any guy in the league right now. Dan Orlowski, Ryan Clark, and crew on ESPN talking about Geno Smith as uh, the impetus for the Seahawks' success. Hard to argue when you hear numbers like that, those advanced metrics, that he uh, has less off-target yeah. throws than any quarterback and, in and football. And I'm just telling you, you, you watch him throw the football and you see the ball spinning abnormally fast. He, he's got incredible... His spin rate is phenomenal. And that's a... I just... I didn't know he had this kind of arm talent. I'm telling you. It's just one of the crazier stories I've encountered in the NFL. And and I'm still, I'm still thinking this might be something of a... Not a fluke, but a, a fact that the, the Seahawks had no idea that they were going to get this from him either. I heard Burns and Gambo for Drew Luck if you did. I heard Burns and Gambo talking about this yesterday, the, the chronology of everything. And we touched on this briefly earlier this week. Drew Locke did come to Seattle in that deal that sent Russell Wilson to Denver. And I think that was the initial thinking was he was going to take over that starting spot. But he got COVID in the preseason. He got a chance to play extensively in that last preseason game and he failed. And it's kind of similar. I mean, there's a lot of differences, but do you remember the preseason um, where yeah, it was a Super Bowl season? Matt Leinard got a chance to play in a preseason game, played extensively, played horribly mm-hmm. oh, uh, yeah. in a game against the Raiders. That's and Ken right. Wisenhunt really had no choice. But to, you know, I know this guy's our, our quarterback of the future, but Kurt Warner's our starter. Yeah. The rest is history. That's right. Um, it was kind of similar in that the presumed starter, the younger guy, Failed on a, on a preseason stage and handed the job to Geno Smith. And credit to him, he's he's actually taken taken things in, in in control. No, no doubt about it. And none of this seems surprising to him. And it, and it doesn't and it doesn't seem like overconfidence either. And it's just like who, who else is out there? Are there any other guys who are like that? Who who could be writing the same stories if only their their opportunities could align the way Geno Smith just did? 
It's 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 really unbelievable. Here's what worries me. One of the things that worries me about this week's game against Seattle, State Farm Stadium. These two teams saw each other quite recently. They played back on October 16th. Seattle. We were expecting a shootout. We were expecting a you know a pinball type uh, atmosphere for the Cardinals' offense. They scored nine points. One of the two games that they did not muster an offensive touchdown this year. Mm-hmm. The Cardinals need the offense to get right. Um, it's shown signs over the last two weeks with over 20 points, 26 points generated in each of the last two games offensively. But Seattle, we talked a lot about familiarity with this Cardinals offense by the teams in the NFC West. They just shut them down in mid-October. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got to feel confident in their ability to do that again, even though the Cardinals offense has played better in, in recent weeks and now has DeAndre Hopkins, which it no. didn't have. I, I just feel like the confidence uh, of the Seattle defense might be too much to overcome okay, for the Cardinals. It's a, great, it's a great point you brought up because I do believe this. I do believe in the next three weeks you're going to face three head coaches who have seen all of Cliff Kingsbury's tricks and who have all kind of shut this offense down. Now, Cliff has had more success against Kyle Shanahan than he has against uh, Sean McVay. But I think collectively what that means is if there's nothing new coming schematically, and I, if they can't get right what they have, I really doubt there's more wrinkles coming to this thing. Then the next three weeks are going to be all about can your star players out-execute a defense that pretty much knows what's coming. You can do that in the NFL. It's a, it's a famous thing that Vince Lombardi and many other old-school football coaches have, have believed in, that, that I don't care if you know that I'm about to run the ball, we're going to out-execute you and we're going to run this thing down your face, and you're not going to stop us. And there are teams that are able to out-execute against defenses that actually know what's coming. And that's sadly where this Cardinals offense is. They're going to need their best players to be spectacular to, to win these games because mm-hmm. it's it's not going to be their system. It's not going to be their offense. It's not going to be their schematics that get them out of this. Yeah, I mean, what we've seen largely this year from the Cardinals offense is that combination of people will rip on the play calling. Um, it's easy to rip on play calling when the execution of the play that's mm-hmm. called is not there. And the you know perfect execution of a play can sometimes mask or cover up what what is a questionable play call. But we haven't seen those two two things come together. Um, you know, on the Cardinal side of things, Cliff Kingsbury was asked by Wolf and Luke this week when they sat down on Monday for their weekly visit. He his thoughts on the previous game against Seattle, which is still got to be fresh in his mind too. You know, hopefully we we can play better. I thought offensively. Um you know, very uh, inconsistent in that game. Defensively kept us in it um, throughout the game. Thought we had a good plan for those guys. They've been playing at a high level on offense, scoring a bunch of points, but um, offensively we weren't very good, and, and hopefully Hop can bring in a mention. And, uh, you know, having Prater where you feel really, really good about, you know, whenever you kick uh, definitely will help help our psyche moving forward. That's right. I forgot about the kicking then. Yeah, that was that was part of it as Old well. Wounds. Uh yes, um uh, but the only touchdown scored in that game was Chris Banjo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he scored the only touchdown in that game. Well, uh, the Cardinals actually outgained the Seahawks in that game, 315 to 296. Yeah, and and I think that was one of those high water games for the Cardinals defense because you had a big physical receiver in DK Metcalf and Byron Murphy Jr. just locked onto him. And it's it, 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 
So I don't know what to expect this time around. I, I think you're going up against a team that's got a powerful sense of belief because for them to be sitting atop the division now, this is sort of a, a dream season just materializing in front of them. And, and Pete Carroll's even said it. They all realize we have a chance to do something special now, and, and that's what you're getting. You're getting a team with a lot of belief, and, and I shudder to think how neon pukey green that stadium is going to look on Sunday. Right? Yeah. 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 They're yeah. back. You They're thought back. they were dead. Right. They're the 12s be back. are like cockroaches. Look, I, I, yeah, I just, for, for the, for, and I mean that in the best of ways. For way, fun, 12s. I just kind of Googled, <laughs> I, yeah, well, listen, for fun, I just kind of did a Google search for available Glendale hotel rooms oh, Saturday yeah. night. You wouldn't believe the prices. There's C plus hotels going for $700 a night. You know what that means? means Seattle people are coming to town. Or well, it means that the economic system in this country is just completely out of whack. Which, yeah. Well, so, topic for another day. But we've seen this. We've, we've seen this. The 12s, if, if they've got belief, they're going to show up down here. Yeah. I know, man. Wow. I know. I know. 700 plus for a C C plus property. Beautiful time of year to visit Arizona. Yeah, who doesn't want to be in Glendale in early November? Glendale. (laughs) Glendale. (laughs) Chip, 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 Glendale. Chippendale. (laughs) Scottsdale. Uh, Scarsdale. Wink Martindale. (laughs) Dale Howardchuck. I've got nothing. Dale Hallistray. Dale Hallistray. Coming up next, we dive into the 9 o'clock hour. Sarah's going to take us through, uh, without the voice cracking, Sarah's going to take us through some uh, social studies next. It's Pickley and Murata Mornings on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.